is the Lotus is Kenneth Anderson's podcast, and it's the 2nd of February 2021. The time is 18.52, and it is Tuesday. And it is 5,352 days under this lockdown. Of course, it's not, but it sure feels like that. And of course, I have a troubled about uh, finding some topics to talk about because there's nothing happening in my life <laughs> uh, and of course there's nothing happening in everyone else's life also and of course this is because the government has decided to shut the society down for the next month or so uh, the, the society is shut down and of course we can all figure that one out. It's going to cost not only a lot of money, but a lot of business is going to go under. So, this society of ours, are we basically losing it? That could be um, a topic, something that I could discuss the next hour or so, but it's not going to be very uplifting. It's not going to make you very happy and content with yourself. Uh, and my podcast should, of course, all, always be so that I uplift not only myself, but also you who listens to this podcast. So what can I do about that? Well, I cannot do anything about it. Uh, I have been explaining many times that the basic governments around the world are corrupt, they have sold the country out to multinational corporations um, and of course they want us all to be poor so that they can decide uh, over us. They can basically make us dependent on them, making us dependent on the government. And this is what is going on. and. You could see the clear evidence of it, of course. Uh, I believe that this coronavirus is just an excuse for them to grab as much power over the people as humanly possible. And this is what we see today. So, will society open up? I am in Denmark and they are telling us that they are opening society up on the 28th of February. But let's just see if they're going to do that, because they used the excuse of the mutated virus from England, and okay, we cannot you cannot open up country because of that. So perhaps they are finding a new excuse on the, uh, on the 28th. I do not know this, of course, I cannot predict the future, uh, but it is clear that a lot of governments around the world has suggested mandatory vaccinations. But of course, they have changed their tunes because of the general population <laughs> that had protested. So it is now volunteering. You have to volunteer to get uh, the vaccines, of course. Uh, but you can ask, ask yourself, well, can they push in a direction that that makes you take the vaccines? Can it be so that there are certain uh, kinds of advantages of taking the vaccine, vaccines? They have as proposed a vaccine passport also. <laughs> you, yeah, you think it's out of a novel of 1984. But, but they have suggested this. Of course, in Denmark, all the doctors are sworn in, they have a confidentiality agreement. They cannot talk about uh, patients, diseases and so forth. So how come society gets to know what I am going to do with my body? It basically does not make any sense because the doctors uh, have a uh, uh, agreement that they cannot uh, talk about a patient's disease. So, of course, this should be highly illegal, and the per persons suggesting this 
passport should be locked away in jail, of course, because it's illegal, according to the current, uh, the current law in the land. But how come it is suggested? Well, basically it's because they want to take people's freedoms away. They also want to divide us up into the groups that have been vaccinated and the groups that has not been vaccinated. And of course, in Germany, they are also talking about camps now. <laughs> I, again, it's, uh, it's out, out of a novel in 1984. And that's because we as human beings, we, we tend to be very naive about the information that we are getting. We tend to trust and believe what the mainstream media is feeding us. And that's why we are in this predicament we are in now. We also tend to trust the politicians that they are not selling their country out to multinational uh, corporations. But we can see clear evidence that they are doing it. And yet we still go around naive thinking that um, they are not doing it. We are basically like the ostriches that put the uh, head in under the ground or in the sand <coughs> and do not see or hear anything that is not uh, pleasant to listen to. So let's just move away from that because <coughs> I have been for the past thousand episodes or so the last seven or eight years have been talking about this and now it has come to intuition now it's come to reality and here we are so i am i or have been sick and tired of warning you about it all these years so let's just talk about something else let's talk about the self-help book how can we get up every morning, be happy and content with life? How can we focus on the positive things in life? Because, as the Dalai Lama clearly sta states, he believes that deep inside every human being is a person who are pure in love and compassion and content or what you can call it com com compassion is another word I, I'm searching for a word here but he's basically saying that the true core of a human being is pure love but we are as humans we have a tendency to stuff a lot of things bad things in our minds through our eyes and ears and we tend to focus on something that you could describe as evil or as not something that is beneficial for you. Violent video games, violent movies, movies who portray people's bad behaviors as something that you can allow yourself to be entertained by, the social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all the rest of the crap, and also the mainstream media who are fear-mongering, who are basically making you afraid of anything and everything. These are bad influences that affect your ability to enter into your true core as a human being. And, it, and if you are a loving and caring person, as I know a lot of people are, but they have a trouble finding that core especially in this environment that we are facing right now, how do we enter that into our, for example, into our meditation? How can we meditate on love and compassion when the world around us has a vastly different view uh, viewpoint on what is acceptable in society? Because if you analyze the situation, if you see 
what they are talking about on the social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, the language that they are using, the foul language they are using, the demeaning language they are using, language that are not going to be so pleasant to continue to listen and absorb. Well then, of course, you have a choice, and we all have a choice. We can simply stop looking at it. Because if it is not something to do with our inner uh, inner human, the loving and caring and pure loving human being, well then, occupying our mind with something else can actually muddy that uh, inner, uh, inner human being. And that's very sad because once we do that, we become sad and lonely because we are actually moving away from who we truly are as humans. So let's just start by allowing ourselves to meditate on loving kindness. Can you show loving kindness to another person in your life, perhaps even someone that you do not know? Can you, if you know a person at an old uh, nursing home, can you call that person up and just by you talking to that person, show that you truly care and are thinking and worrying about that person? Because then that person knows that at least there are someone outside in the world who loves me. Can you also do it to people that perhaps you have let drift away in your life? Calling them up and hearing how they are doing under this lockdown can actually just be with the phone call that lifts them up uh, mood-wise so they also have a decent day uh, um, instead of a crappy day. So moving our mind into another direction that we are used to can be very difficult, but I believe it's the struggle. It's the worst the struggle. It's worth the struggle for us to take on the challenge of finding the inner core in us humans, which is pure love, and focusing on that, and focusing on the positive aspects of being a human, loving kindness, being there for others, thinking about others besides yourself, wanting to let your love and care Get out there, not just be inside of you, but let it shine. <clears throat> that can be very difficult, but I believe it's the struggle that's worth the struggle. Because once you start struggling uh, your own bad ideas and uh, bad thought patterns, well, then you show that you truly care about yourself. And of course, we all have this inner critic, you could call that a person inside of us constantly critiquing us and constantly telling us that we are not any good, but we can actually fight that person back. And one of the easiest ways, of course, through meditations, through breath exercise, counting your breath, and every time your mind wanders off uh, into or that person enters your mind, constantly nagging and critiquing you, you can just say, oh, mind back to meditation, mind back to counting the breath. And once you have counted up to a thousand without letting your mind wander, well, then you can truly start talking about that you have put your mind back to where it belongs to yourself and not to a person who constantly nags you and tells you that you are wrong and you are bad and what else that person might talk to you about. So the, the inner voice, it's very important that we 
we get that person inside of us to become positive, to become a positive factor in our lives. So let's just start reading out from this book that I have been reading out loud and see if there is some evidence, not only evidence, but also something that we can take from this person, uh, person's life that we can use into improving our own inner core as pure love and, of course, making that person our whole person. Let's just change here the scenes. <laughs> Capturing your success. Basically, to continue the last chapter, we are all for enlarging our amounts of tokens or of cushion fillers. Long before I had my man cave, I created a PowerPoint presentation with my successes. Now you don't have to be tech savvy or anything. When smartphones came out, I basically did much of it using the phone. So what is it exactly? It's a folder or a PowerPoint presentation in which you put all your photos or other things, soon to be explained, of things that make you feel good, accomplished, celebrated, loved. In the PowerPoint presentation, I simply took photos of my old phone sorry, old photos from my childhood. No need to scan or overdo it. Phone photos are fine. I added photos from recent times that I liked. <coughs> I also added few photos of landscapes that brought me a feeling of ease. The talented photographer of all these photos is called Images. His given name is Google. Look for him, he is pretty versatile. He also got his own website, images.google.com. He has taken millions of photos. I don't know how he does that. Anyway, as long as it's for your own use, Mr. Google is happy for you to take any photo and voila. The reason I'm being slightly whimsical here is that we all have such amazing photos handy. And they let our soul loose and our heart sing. And if you put them in your own phone folder and look at them often, you feel better. Apart from my own photos and photos of landscapes, babies and other things that make me feel good, I began to document my successes. For example, my friend Kaya saw a painting of mine in a home in Germany. <coughs> she heard to take a photo and to tell me, one day I want to have one of your works too. Now instead of letting this moment of small victory vanish into the abyss of my email archive, I snapped a photo of my screen. You can do it on your computer. Search for the print screen key on your keyboard. On your phone either press and hold the power and volume down bottom at the same time until your screen flashes for Android or press simultaneously the home button and the power button on of on button located on the opposite edge of the phone. Do it now, so that you know you can do it. Now all your screenshots will find their way into a screenshot folder. It's as easy as that. Here's what I have in my screenshot folder on my phone. An inspirational quote by Nick Vucic I saw and wanted to remember. By now you understand I'm a quote addict, right? My sister's photo of a painting of mine in a gallery in Tel Aviv. A photo of my two nieces. They are adorable, adorable, really. A photo of my hard-working friends abroad with his wife smiling. I convinced him to go. A Facebook message from my friend Judy saying, I'm such an encourager and motivator, saying that through your prayers and friendship, I am motivated to be a better person. An email from my Canadian friend, Cushet, saying about one of my videos. Jonathan, darling, this is a fucking amazing. Sorry, there are no other words to describe it. I'm so impressed, impressed, darling. A direct message I got on Twitter from 
from Jeremiah 62, I am glued to your writings, I am learning a lot, etc., etc. Now, why is this important? Why am I taking your precious time and precious trees of this earth to spend yet another paper? Well, because this is crucial. You want to have a great success in life. Begin by celebrating the tiny successes. Even before I had friends taking photos of my art abroad, or before I even had a Twitter account, I understood that there are moments in life you must remember. I have this friend who texts me once after a long talk on the phone. John, thanks for listening. You are a real friend. I screen captured it. It's important. When I feel down to scroll through the photos in my screenshot folder and see, John, thanks for listening. You are a real friend. That's powerful. It makes me value myself better, you see. Or sometimes my self-esteem is low and I think I'm writing to myself and that no one will ever read this BS because it sucks. Yeah. Then to see the Twitter messages of my friend June saying she's glued to my writing, man, that feels good. I want you to truly celebrate your successes. Someone left you a note, a kind note in the office, take a photo of it, then take a screenshot so it finds its way to your screenshot folder. Then it's there. And while I clean my phone, uh, sorry, I clean my phone often, I never clean my screenshot folder. It's there for me. You celebrated your friend's birthday and you liked the photo of you, screenshot. You went through your old files and saw something from years ago that made you feel, ah, screenshot. You invested in buying yourself new shoes and enjoyed the feeling of treating yourself as you looked at your feet, screenshot. How often should you look at your screenshot folder or PowerPoint presentation? As often as you can. I look at my photo once a day, in the morning. Sometimes, when I wash the dishes, I even put the photos as a slideshow. <coughs> yeah, you can do it on your phone too. The bottom line is that you want to inundate your brain with your successes. Anyhow, without your efforts, it will be inundated with craps and news and negativity. Your conscious efforts to feed your mind positive images relate to yourself, your success and your well-being will pay back. I promise. And with time you will feel better. You will walk into the casino of life with more tokens than before. And if you receive any nasty criticism, your cushion of self-love and self-esteem will comfort you when you get bumped and fall down. You may think, yeah, but it's complicated and too technically for me, or technical for me. Well, you can do it hands-on with a journal. Have a journal of your successes and triumphs only for those. And set it close to you and read through it often. And read through it often. It can have pretty awesome results. Do it. Invest in yourself. Make your folder thick. Make your PowerPoint presentation heavy. Make your journal full. Make your love to yourself express itself physically in this world. So, is this a good thing? Taking screenshots of successes. Well, of course it is. Of course it can make you, when you look back, at screenshots on your phone, you can think of happy things that has happened in your life. And by nurturing that happy feeling in your side, in, in inside of you every day, you can start by getting your mind off the negativity because it is basically it's there to, for you to take it back. 
but you have to take it back because otherwise it's only going to be negativity in your life. So making a folder of your successes through your phone, of course, can be a very good thing because it can actually help you focus on what what has happened in your life that is positive. Recall happy times from the past. Photos are a great memory prompt, and because we tend to take photos of happy occasions, they weigh our memories to the good. You can search throughout the entire universe for someone who is more deserving of your love and affection than you are yourself. And that person is not to be found anywhere. You yourself, as much as anybody in the entire universe, deserves your love and affection. And that is Buddha. A quote from Buddha. There are three enemies inside. Let's take a short break from all the technical how to do and do, do, do that. Another good idea is, and let's speak now of the worst enemy we all have. You notice by now I am a fairly positive person. I rarely focus intentionally on the negative stuff. But now I'm going to go off the path of goody goodies and talk about the dark trees of the, our path. I love trees, but these are dark trees. In them there are dark creatures. Creatures that if they get you, you become their prey. You are devoured by them. They will eat <coughs> each and every part of you and leave nothing good. Now are these dark forces, not sorry, who are these dark forces and who is their king? These dark forces are self-loathing, self-hatred and self-criticism. They are all part of you. They look like you, they behave like you. But you must remember that these dark forces that will eat that are dark forces that will eat you alive. Self-loathing says, I don't like that you do this. You always do this. You are so stupid. Self-loathing awaits your failure, big or small. Right around the corner, it jumps at you and says with a smile, You suck, you disgust me. Self-loathing forces seem fair and okay, but you should watch for them. They are the ones that make you look at a photo and say, you look ugly here. Yet self-loathing is nothing like self-hatred. Oh no, self-hatred makes self-loathing look like an angel. Self-hatred is blatant. Self-hatred will wait for you, be really quiet, and just when you are really close, Shout in your ear, I hate you. Self-hatred is more in your face than their friend self-loathing. Their forces called self-hatred will look for your worst moment. You see them less than self-loathing, but boy, when they come, you need to be aware. They can choke your soul to death, one away from them when you smell them. Unlike these two, the self-criticism seems less appealing. Wearing an intellectual disguise, they will try and sound so matter-of-factual and so knowledgeable that if you forget you are talking with you are talking with, you will easily fall into their trap. They are all the forces that tell you, but you screwed up last time. The self-criticism forces tell you in a whisper rather than in shouting, but you know that you are not good enough, and they whisper you don't deserve that. Self-criticism will come at your moment of success. They won't come when you are down. Oh no, why should they? They'll leave the work for two dumber ones, those self-loathing and self-hatred. Oh no, self-criticism will see themselves as invited to your celebration. They will come to the front of your mind, at the vortex of your perception, and say, but this person doesn't really love you. Wait till you need them, then you'll see. They will hiss things like, oh, that speech of yours was a little inadequate. No worries, you can screw up next time. The self-criticism forces are smart, 
and you should watch for them. But they too, like the two other forces, work for the king of all forces, the dark king, the one with the mask. The inner enemy with the mask. No one is stronger or mightier than the king of all the inner dark forces. He is the invisible king. You don't see him. He wears a mask that makes him seem like your best friend, like an adversary, like a true benefactor. But don't be mistaken. The king knows very well what it's, it does, whereas his three subordinaries comes at moments of exercise. When it is time for them to come, the king, without you knowing it, is ever near you. This is what made him the king. He feeds on your soul more than the other three ever dreams. Self-loathing is a baby next to the king. Self-hatred is an amateur. amateur. Self-criticism is an ignorant deputy. Don't worry, I'll reveal his face to you in a moment. Not that you will believe me. This is what the king of the dark forces is an expert in, making you think he's no biggie. He will tell you, oh, what he says is bullshit, no? The king of all your inner dark forces is not fear, it's not rage, and it's not depression. These are important forces, but they don't strive as often and as severely as the king. The king has, it the king has its ways. He has his masks, so that you will never recognize him. Take his mask off and he vanishes, but he'll come back immediately with a new mask. The king is self-doubt. Self-doubt? How is self-doubt stronger than self-loathing and self-hatred and self-criticism? How is he mightier than paranoia, fear, depression, rage, anger? Oh, he is. Don't worry, you might be under his effect right now. King self-doubt has taught few things to the other forces, especially to self-criticism. Self-criticism often knows how to sound like King self-doubt. Self-criticism also employs a tone of speech that seems at times harmless. Self-criticism learned from the king that in order to be constantly invited and never hushed away, they must sound intelligent, wise, concerned for your well-being. But still, self-criticism is only the deputy. Self-criticism does not have the power that the king exists over you. It's the king that rules the kingdom of dark forces, always wishing to expand it to every good soil in your ever-expanding soul. The king has learned the way through the guards. While often self-criticism is thrown away through the gates of your mind castle, the king knows how to remain always invited. The king doesn't seem dark at all. The king is there for you, or so it seems. The king also doesn't use such ignorant phrases such as the deputy, self-criticism. While the latter may say, you screwed up, you always do it, the king will never use such language. Instead, the king speaks in soft-spoken words. His sentences are short. His tone always finishes with a question. The king of the dark forces tries to win your heart and take the place of your honored adversary, your intuition. The king has learned to speak and sound like your intuition. He has learned that she speaks in short sentences, sometimes even without words, and so the king constantly tries to do the same. Whereas intuition tells you, I feel you can do it, the king also says, hmm, can you? Whereas intuition tells you, it will help you shine, the king says, hopefully, it will be unfortunate if it won't, won't it? The king likes you not to affiliate him with those other dark forces, his subordinates. He would like to be even present in your castle. To ever, to ever advise you. All that you have done in your life that was well was because you didn't listen to the king, to self-doubt himself. All that you have done in your life that did not go well was because you did listen to the king, 
to self-doubt in all his glory. Do I really need to give you examples? The relationships that didn't work? Intuition told you, no, I don't have a good feeling. But self-doubt asked, why do you really think we may find someone better than that? In your health and fitness, in your career, in your free time, in your finances, in all of your relationships, the king, self-doubt, always struggles to undermine your efforts. He tries to sway you off from the path that is good for you. He feeds on your enemies, going to him and to his kingdom. He feeds on your giving energy to self-loathing, to self-hatred and to self-criticism. By exercising his well-crafted speech, his ever-gentle questions, his dance with uncertainty, his calm of hesitations, the joy of having you stuck in, in, in decisions through you know the right thing to do, the king's power are might. You don't even know when he's around, when he's speaking, when his dark energy begins to wrap your mind. You don't even need to go off the castle and wander round the dark forest. You can remain well seated in your chambers and self-doubt the king, disguised by true concern and love and care, will strike you ever so gently will, with doubt, doubtfulness, suspicion, confusion all to bring your mind to his kingdom, where he can feed off of you. When you have listened to more than one sentence of him, you are falling fast down the path of darkness. Your eyes blare, your mouth slows down, even the voices of your dear intuition drowns by the king's loving embrace. Oh, will it? Perhaps we shall wait. Perhaps this is asking for too much. Perhaps, possibly, maybe. Then you find yourself in a trance. It started by a simple question, seemingly well-intended, caring one. But then you hesitated, didn't know what to answer, and the king hurried to tell you, Well, if I remember correctly, last time you chose to do that, well, do I remember right? Was it not rather unsuccessful? Then the more you listen to the king, the more the voice of intuition drowns and disappears. You don't even hear her nor feel her hand grabbing you, and you are led down the staircase by the smiling king who whispers, You shouldn't, shouldn't you? You don't know, don't you? You don't want to, don't you? And with each question you find yourself closer to the gates, leaving your beloved castle. You don't hear intuition's whisper, her voice long gone, and the sounds of your protective horses in the stables, their screaming and shouting for you not to leave, doesn't even register in your mind. And then you are out there, in the trail, when you hear self-criticism joining behind you, saying, but you always mess up uh, that way anyway. And you see the wrecked self-loathing saying, here comes the stupid one again, thinking that this time it's different, haha. <laughs> and self-hatred. Why do you think you can even think of it as a possibility? You pitiful, pathetic, sorry you. And before long, you are devoured in the middle of the dark forest by the dark forces having a feast. Your energy is drained. Your whole being is consumed by the dark forces. To the outside world, you can't explain what had happened, but you are tired, exhausted, depleted, emptied of all good. And it's so weird because you were actually optimistic. To the outside world, to those who care about you, you can't even explain what happened. Truth is that even to yourself, you lack the words. You ask yourself, indeed, what happened? Little do you know that it was self-doubt that seduced you, that took you out of your castle. Little do you know that you feel yet again to his seducting power. Sorry, you fell yet again to his seducting power. Little do you know how he operated, how he sounded totally innocent. Little do you know what had happened to you. All you want is out. 
to go to sleep, to drown yourself in food, in shopping, in porn, in drugs, in other outer expressions of the inner feast taking place within you. The dark feast in which self-loathing, self-hatred and self-criticism feed on your soul with the sad look of their king, but there is a way out. So, so we are now coming into what makes us not feel so good inside ourselves. This self-loathing voice that constantly is nagging us, we have to fight that back. And how do we do that? Well, answers comes right now. Winning and overcoming self-doubt. Okay, I think it's time for us to get clearer about how to win King's self-doubt. Then we can move on with our book. I don't want to give self-doubt and his dark forces too much space in this book, but I do sense that this part is needed. So let's do it and move on, shall we? Self-doubt cannot be killed. That's the first thing we need to understand. If you are saying, kill the damn bastard, you are not in the right direction. Why not? Because you are emerging energy to him. He is getting your attention. He can then say, wow, you seem unhinged, don't you? It's not like you might think there's some truth in my words, right? And then you begin falling into his trap. He is smarter than you. Should I repeat this? He is smarter than you. He has acquired to your memory faster than your consciousness. He will prove you wrong, prove himself right, and do it all without much effort. In fact, let's stress again the fact that he is responsible for much of the unhappiness in your life. He is your arch enemy, and he cannot be killed nor convinced. Sorry, convicted. Sorry, convinced nor convinced nor won over by plausible explanations. Anything you say to him, any attempt to converse with him maturely, will give him the court advantages to blind you, impair your hearing and put you to a trance in which he is the leader and not you. He is only waiting for you to begin responding to him. That's what you were been that's what you have been doing. You've tried all, the, all of the methods you know in your adult life. The only problem is that the king is part of you. He knows all your arguments. He has been with you and what's everything. And so, like in a worst nightmare, he can attack you again and again, and you will not win. Am I making, a, am I making the point clear? Am I making the point clear? The king, self-doubt himself, wants you to respond to him, and you must never do it. Never respond to him. The way to overcome the king is to first understand him. In fact, through, sorry, though he is the king of the dark forces, it's worth understanding his story. I once had a dog. It was a sweet dog, which was owned by my girlfriend, Rebecca. When we moved in together, she brought her dog with her. Let's call him Genuine. So Genius. Genius was a big and freeze dog. White, fluffy, chubby, the most adorable you can find. Genius, however, had some difficulties. He had skin sores, and to relieve his pain, he would chew on his skin sores. It would begin in licking. Seemingly, the licking was fine, as it was a natural thing to do. Then Genius would continue to nibble. The nibble would release him of some of the pain and would then lead to munching. By then we'd say Genius, and he'd looked up, understand that he had done something wrong, and lay his head down. Two minutes later he began licking again, then nibbling, munching, and actually guzzling on his own skin. If we are in the other room or so, he'd keep eating until he'd hit some actual nerve on, or the bone or something. Oh, it hurt for me to write about it. 
and then he'd yelp the most painful yelp you ever heard. Poor genius. We tried everything. We tried cream, oil, putting medical gazes on his leg, he'd move it, wrapping his leg with various material, nothing helped. When the vegetarian said, it's getting worse, looking at the skinny red areas devout on Genius' leg, he said, we said, we know. The vegetarian then said, we'll have to use an Elizabethan collar around his neck, this plastic cone thing, to prevent him from licking himself. In the following days, poor Genius was moaning and groaning, as if we at least castrated him. He looked, he, his look was pitiful. He tried again and again to reach his leg, and we'd see the plastic cone banging all over. Genius's look, whenever he looked at us, was resentful. His eyebrows were tight, and he seemed disapproving of our behavior and of how we dared to put the cone around him. Oh, how he liked when we took it off from him to eat actual food rather than his own body. Then we'd run after him with the cone, and he'd run as fast as he could as if his life depended on it, which, no insult, wasn't too far from our chubby genius. But week by week the wounds began to heal, until eventually they healed completely. We then took the cone off, and genius was really happy. But we kept the cone, and every time genius began developing the beginning of such a wound, we'd immediately return the cone for a few days. So how is genius related to our self-doubt, to that mighty and frightening king? The truth is that there is more similarities than we might guess. Genius didn't want to lead to his wounds growing worse, and he wanted, all he wanted was to lick them in a way to relieve the pain. Similarly, King's self-doubt, as awful as he may have sounded, doesn't want in his heart for your inner wounds to grow worse. All he wants is to protect you, in a way to relieve your further pain, to protect you from relieving the awful pain you have already experienced in the past. A genuine thought his name says otherwise wasn't the smartest of creatures. Had he known that his licking would cause him more harm, would have refrained from it, but he was instead moving to Agnes's self-inflicted terror just because his brain couldn't comprehend the connection between licking with seems to relieve the pain and between his de deepening wounds. This is getting more and more profound. Do you bear with me? Go to pee or grab some bite to eat. I want you focused when you read this. Similarly to genius. The king, self-doubt, doesn't know that through voicing his legitimate concern, he is going to inflict more pain on him. He doesn't know that doubt will lead to the wrong actions, which will create further suffering. For example, though you really want to do something, you instead let the king to convince you that you really shouldn't. Instead, you choose to do something you don't really want. In turn, the fact you don't really want it leads to a low commitment, low participation on your side. This, of course, leads to failure or, in the best scenario, to mediocre result. The king then tells you, remember that failure, or those results were pretty mediocre, weren't they? And his mere words lead you to be led by him, further and further down the spiral staircase, led by self-doubt until you find yourself in the dark forest again. What's so unique is that King Self-Doubt does not really like to be in the forest, seriously. King Self-Doubt is a more intelligent creature than his three forces. This is why he is the king, and they are his subordinates. The king prefers the cushiousness of the castle, being in the comfortable gardens that being in the cold forest seemed the stupid dark forces devour you and your energy. When Genuine used to help after eating his skin out and creating the most frightening bright red source, his face would seem so sad. He really looked sad. I felt pity for him. Yes, I know you understand. There in the feast of the dark forces, out there in the dark forest, the king actually looks sad. He'd prefer going back to the warm and cozy castle. 
There in the woods, he is waiting for you to jump up and kick the three forces in the balls. Eventually, you always do it. Eventually, you always get up. It's your nature. Much like it's the nature of the king to lead you down the staircase and into the forest. But why does the king do it? Why does he do it if he likes to remain in the castle? You need to understand that whenever the king receives your energy, he cannot do anything but put you in a trance and lead you down the staircase. He doesn't have any other option. Option, That's his nature. Much like Genius doesn't have any options other than to munch on his wounds, though it's not good for him, so cannot the king do anything else but lead you down through it, though though it's not good for him either. Let's move on. How do we therefore overcome the king? First of all, now we have more empathy for the king, and that's good. It makes us realize that he has a role. He does. There's a reason why the king can get into the castle, and why his dark subordinates can't. The king was actually invited there early on. You needed him. His words often protected you, remember? Remember when you were a kid, the king saved you from some stupid stuff. That's when your intuition was still developing. Over the years, intuition developed beautifully. It's true that she speaks quietly that her words are recited, that sometimes you can, get frust- you can get frustrated and say, but I can't hear you. But intuition cannot raise her voice. He, nature is a delicate one. It's you that need to silence the noise so that you can listen to her. But more often than not, you listen to the king. The king is a smaller being. He's dumb because he doesn't know better than to kick himself and you out of the castle. But he's also smart because he learned that there are many ways of speech to which you will not listen. The king, self-doubt, learns that if he employs the speech of self-criticism, self-hatred and self-loathing, you spot him in a second. You yell, stop it, self-doubt, and awe, does that hurt the king or what? He thinks to himself, but I'm a king, how can you speak to me that way? And it was you who invited me here in the first place. Then the king acknowledges, all he wants is your intuition and love. He does not want to be yelled at. He wants to stay in your castle and for you to be really nice to him. Invite him everywhere, feed him and nurture him. He did serve you well many times. Your treatment of being ungrateful to him is indeed a wrongdoing on your part. Don't be ungrateful for those who helped him for for those who helped you. <laughs> when you yell at him, when you kick him in the butt, that's when the king goes off to the corner and begins rubbing his hands in one another. That's when his dark nature comes through. That's when he thinks of how to get your energy. He thinks of the best way to get you. He didn't. He did it before, and he will always do it. Much like intuition never raises her voice and always speaks quietly, self-doubt always comes back with a better mask to win you over again. It's his nature. Which kinds of masks does the king have? Oh, wow, it would take me a whole book, not like this one, a big one, to even begin describing all his masks. Sometimes he wears the mask of a caring mother or a caring father. Sometimes he wears the mask of an elderly lady or a teacher. Sometimes he wears the mask of a baby or a child. Sometimes his mask is the rational and slightly removed professor saying, I do doubt that this will work, but I may be wrong, even though I have never been wrong, not that I remember. 
Yet other times he wears a cheerleader's mask. You can do it, you can do it, just watch out not to get hurt. You do remember what happened last time, right? Other times he wears the doctor's masks. I do think it's better to rest, wouldn't you? And sometimes the pager's mask. Oh, you can have so much fun here. It means you are a fun person. Going away would mean missing on all the good stuff. And you don't want to miss all the good stuff, right? There are thousands of thousands, if not millions, of masks that the king can employ and create in a second. Yet my favorite mask is the mask of no other than. I don't have a good feeling about it, do you? You hear this gentle voice and you become alarmed. Intuition. I just don't know about this, you you know. I don't I just don't know about this, you know. Intuition is that you. I would tell you if I had a good feeling, but I don't. But it's totally up to you, is it not? Well, yes, but I want to hear your opinion, intuition, you say. I think this might not be the best thing. You hear the whispering voice, I really care for you, and I just don't have a good hunch for that you do, do you? I, you say, I? Why don't you just wait and see? No need to rush, right? I guess, you say, and you don't even notice how your drowsy mind begins to speak slower and slower. <coughs> the rest is already clear. Only later in the woods, drained of energy and passion, emptied of hope and joy, there you do realize what had happened. Self-doubt, you shout and look at the sated, satin king, you kick off the three dark forces which have brought their giant friends paranoia and depression over. Everyone runs to the woods in fear. They see that you have had it. You look with anger at self-doubt. You brush your clothes off and walk back to the castle. Self-doubt behind you walks with his head bowed down. Frustrated, you walk back through the gates. You nod to the disappointed horses who bow their heads down. You climb up your magnificent castle. You don't even remember going down this spiraled staircase. Then you see intuition smiling, ever calm, ever loving. But you say, why didn't you say anything? She whispers with a gentle smile, I did. So let's just see the next chapter is intuition. But let's just see how long time we have yeah we have reached the hour. So this is the voices inside of us that can steer us in a completely different direction, a wrong direction so to speak. And of course I have to excuse my very poor English. You can, of course, <laughs> download the book from PDF Drive yourself. It's called How to Love Yourself, The Art of Loving Myself. So pdfdrive.com, you can download, download the book for yourself and you can get a much more deep understanding than what I'm, uh, I, I'm, a, what I'm about, what I am saying when I am expressing myself in English because this is not my first language. So it's not going to be as profound as if you read it yourself. So the next, uh, the next one is, of course, intuition and how we can use intuition into our lives. And of course, also how we can distinguish intuition from these bad influences that we have uh, been talking about or we have been reading about in this book. So I hope this podcast was helpful for you. I know it was for me because now I know what to look out for when I have an inner voice uh, telling me something. Is it 
telling me something that will help me in my life or drag me away from my castle. So, I hope you love each other and are kind to one another. This is uh, Kenneth Anderson signing off. It is the 2nd of February 2021. The time is 1952 and it is Tuesday. Bye.